if a woman has a solopreneurship organization, she's got to make a decision. Is this something that I'd like to grow one day? And what are my financial aspirations for growing this company? Do I want to keep it as a small lifestyle company? Or do I really want it to become something big? Even if it's a community-based business, there's no reason why it can't be a million dollar or a $2 million business. Sylvia and me. Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hi, I'm Liz Sarah. I chair the National Women's Business Council which is a nonpartisan federal agency that advocates for female founders and women business owners. I've been an entrepreneur all my career. And for the last 20 years, I've been working with startup founders through my marketing agency located in the DC area. I'm excited to be on Sylvia and me. Liz, welcome. And uh, thank you so much for being here. We've got quite a bit to talk about. And as you said, you're the chairperson for the National Women's Business Council. Women and business, it's, uh, you know, we've come a long way and I've said this many times, uh, but how far have we come and how far do we need to go? Women entrepreneurship, when did you see that? When do you think the real onslaught of that took place? Well, I've been an entrepreneur a very long time before we even use that word. So it's been around for a number of decades, but typically we associate startups, especially tech startups with men because the vast majority, you know, 98% of them are male founded. But women really began getting into the act, so to speak, from what I see uh, in my world in the DC, Maryland and Virginia tech sectors, probably about a dozen years ago. I've been doing some angel investing here locally and angel investors put their own money into startups. For those of you that are interested in doing that, I encourage you but venture capitalists put other people's money in. So when you're putting your own money from your own bank account, you're particularly interested in what is this opportunity gonna turn out to be? And when I began doing this almost 10 years ago, the companies that would come in to pitch us were all male started, male founded, and often just male backed. But in the last few years, I'm seeing a rise in the number of women founders that are coming in to pitch. So rather than maybe one out of 25 over the course of a year, we're seeing at least one or two each time. So maybe half of them are now women. And in the angel groups themselves, the members, say 10 years ago, may have looked like an audience of 25 men and three women. Now we're seeing not quite half and half, but maybe a fourth of the members are women. But more importantly, we're seeing a lot of women angel groups cropping up all around the country. So it's more about women that would like to invest in other women. So entrepreneurship is on the rise, even coming out of this pandemic. When we look at the new businesses that have started in the last quarter of last year, 
the numbers are exceeding the number of new businesses that started for the same quarter the year before. Uh, and so if, how we know that is just by the number of new tax IDs that were issued. Okay. And, um, you know, one of the things that the pandemic did, uh, so many people lost their jobs, but so many women were forced out of the job uh, place, not just because maybe they were, you know, they, they, their job that they had either downsized or put them on furlough and so on. But for the majority of women, they had to make a choice between homeschooling their children, working at home, you know, childcare has always been an issue. And although, yes, men were stepping up to do some of the work, they weren't doing it on a regular basis because it wasn't a routine that they were into before. So it fell on to women. The pandemic, from what I see, and I you know, wanna ask you, do you see that it has created more women thinking outside the box and becoming an entrepreneur, starting their own business. Not so much that they thought about doing it before, but because for some they had no choice but to figure out how to bring some income in. Absolutely, because very often adversity drives innovation. So for many women who never had a job to go back to, uh, or took the time to say, you know, I really did not like the career trajectory that I was on doing ABC at company XYZ. And now is a good time for me to actually strike while the iron is hot and get that idea that I've always wanted to do off the ground and in the marketplace. So we see a lot of opportunities being taken for the first time. And there's a lot of financing that's been available to assist women to make that leap into you know, innovation and entrepreneurship. When we look at the, the numbers of uh, women-owned businesses, and it's hard to collect those, though we are trying as a council to see how the PPP money was distributed uh, last year when it came out to support small businesses. And as a council, we were very much on the forefront of talking with the SBA administrator to make sure that when that second round of money became available, much of it went to small community banks because that's where women-owned businesses tend to bank rather than at the big global banks like Bank of America or Wells Fargo or SunTrust. Mm -hmm. And thing is that, yes, women will usually go to what they know, and local is usually what they do. I mean, because local, you think about it, they don't have the time to really deal with the larger banks, and the smaller ones usually do give you a more personalized feeling and experience. Yeah. So. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, we were encouraged when we saw some of the numbers uh, at the end of last year that many loans were less than $50,000. And we feel that 
small women-owned businesses got their share of those, although gender reporting was not a mandatory thing, so we never could actually see, you know, loan per loan, how those numbers worked out. But we feel that, you know, women by the second round's availability got enough information and knew how to do it and knew how to apply and got money. I think one of the challenges that women business owners are facing is not so much getting the access to the capital they need, but that is a problem. I don't want to uh, belittle that. But it's the kinds of companies that women have been typically founding that are community-based, that are kitchen table-based, and that are not big job creators. And so when all you have is yourself to make a business succeed or fail, and then we have the situation with the pandemic that we faced last year. And to your point, so many women had children that all of a sudden were home because the schools were closed. It made it very difficult to continue your one woman business when you have all these other obligations. So, you know, one of the areas that we were making recommendations as a council regarding last year had to do with childcare. And, you know, how can we provide more funds to more childcare establishments and maybe reclassify certain government grants that would only go to for-profit childcare centers to also include the nonprofit childcare centers. So we were just looking at any ways to help women, especially those in rural areas that have less choices and less opportunities for childcare than those of us that live in big urban centers. Well, child care, and that's something which in this, you know, in this country, we're just starting to focus on because child care is a barrier for so many women, whether married, but there's so many single parents, single women parents. I mean, I fell into that. And child care is just so exceedingly difficult to find, especially reliable, trustworthy childcare, and the expense is enormous. There's only a few places that will actually subsidize childcare. And if you take a huge cut in salary, you'll be able to actually live um, and pay for your childcare because sometimes it could be even more expensive (coughs) than what your your salary is. Absolutely. so where do you, how do you see us being able to get people to understand that uh, women are not not working because, oh, they can be at home and, and, and so on, but the barrier, as you said, more women are able to get money now, which capital was always, if you ask what the barrier was, that was barrier number one. To me, um, and do you think that the barrier right now is really childcare? I don't. I, I think that's one of them, but I think the big hurdle continues to be capital. access to capital in okay. general. Because not every, so every kind of business has greater or lesser opportunities to get money. 
And we, when we look at some of the statistics, which let me just share with you, because some of these numbers are, are pretty unbelievable, is when I first heard them, I was amazed. So there are about 12 million women-owned businesses in the country. 90% of those do not have any employees. 90% of all women-owned businesses have no employees. Half of all those 90%, so about 10.6 million businesses have no employees. 5 million of that 10 don't make more than about $10,000 a year. So how do we encourage women? We have 5 million women-owned businesses that are making about 10 grand a year, a not year. a month. A year. So when we look at the kinds of businesses that many women have, they are, as I mentioned, the kitchen table businesses, the community businesses, they're personal trainers, they're dog walkers, they're freelance graphic artists. How do we encourage more women to take that leap? And if they have an entrepreneurial aspiration, maybe start something in a STEM related field because A, that's where the money is. B, that's where job creation really comes. And C, that's where women are not well represented. We are a huge minority at the table of companies that are in STEM fields. And one of the things that we need are the women who are in uh, leadership positions in companies that are architecture or chemicals or manufacturing or you know industrial parts or medical equipment to really stand out and stand up. And you don't need to have a degree in that field to start a company in that field. So a lot of the conversations that I have with, with women in college even relate to the fact that I started or co-founded two software companies. And I have no degree in computer science or software development. I don't do software coding, would not know how to do it or have an interest in it. But successful businesses need a team. And the team is expertise in finance and marketing and sales and operations. So if you have passion for an idea, you don't have to be the domain expert. Team up with somebody that has that and use what you are good at to get that idea and that company off the ground. And so we need to encourage women because we hear, as we've been doing roundtables last year virtually, the year before in person, that women need to see role models that look like them. And so I encourage women at all levels of the corporate hierarchy, take some time to mentor college women in your community. We all went to college somewhere and most colleges today have an entrepreneurship center. Very easy to spend an hour a week or two hours a month showcasing what you've done to women to give them that confidence that they too perhaps can do it. Okay, uh, you just mentioned the fact that um, a huge percentage of women-owned businesses are non-employee 
businesses. And so many of them really at $10,000 a year, you can't live on that. So how do you train or get the message across to these women that it's great that they're going after their passion. It's great that they can do it from home. It's great that, you know, their office is wherever, you know, they want it to be, but they're putting all this energy in and their, their top figure is $10,000 a year. How do we get that message to them? I understand getting it to the, you know, to college students and you have a captive audience there and hopefully you can, um, you know, get them the information and get them the bug to really uh, go out into fields that women really need to be, uh, have a greater representation. And you could also make a pretty nice living and support yourself. How do you get the message out to these other women? So I encourage them to look at some of the resources that are in just about every community that sometimes don't do a very good job of promoting the fact that they are there. Two examples, one are called Women Business Centers. There are about 150 of these centers around the country from rural communities to big cities that are there to provide free business advice to women business owners. So women should look up to see where is the closest one to their location and go in there and talk to the people that are there, A, working and B, volunteering their time to help women grow their business, to find out where are they facing challenges? Do they have the right business model? Do they need a bank loan? How do they go about getting a bank loan? So women's business centers are one of the resources that are out there, no charge. The other has to do with the local economic development offices around the country, all the way down to the county level. So these offices are trying to lure new businesses into their county, where hopefully one day they'll grow, be big and pay lots of taxes. And and that's good for the county and for the state. But they also provide resources to help businesses get to that next level. Most colleges and universities, Sylvia, have entrepreneurship centers that while they provide programs that are focused on the students and the campus, they also have lots of intersections with the organizations, whether they're incubators, mentor networks, or even angel groups that are in their local community. Women need to seek them out. So women have to be able to reach out, get the help that they need, or maybe don't even know they need until they're exposed to some of these other Uh, programs and resources. SBA has a ton of resources. Maybe they need to do a better job of making these resources known. And the thing is that I understand that, you know, the, the pandemic, what it did do was connect more people together. Um, you know, there was a positive association between social media engagement and success in, in crowdfunding women were able to tell stories and storytelling is, you know, it's been around forever, but it allowed women to actually meet other women and tell stories that maybe they never told before. 
So would that be a vehicle to, um, to get more of this information out to the women who don't really realize that, yes, it's wonderful what they're doing, but it's not going to make a difference in their lives? Well, I think, you know, if, if a woman has a solopreneurship organization, she's got to make a decision. Is this something that I'd like to grow one day? And what are my financial aspirations for growing this company? Do I want to keep it as a small lifestyle company? Or do I really want it to become something big? Even if it's a community-based business, there's no reason why it can't be a million dollar or a $2 million business. There are numerous nonprofit women business organizations. I've counted at least 50. And many of them have chapters around the country as well as national organizations that meet regularly. Lately, we're all doing it digitally. (laughs) But these are great sources of available assistance, programs, uh, resources, um, mentor networks, just about everything that any type of women's business organization would need to help them understand what do I need to grow my business? If I'm a freelance graphic designer, do I wanna grow this business and maybe have five graphic artists or do I wanna stay on my own? I think it needs to start with the individual. You know, What is their aspiration for that company one year out, three years out, five years out? And then to seek out the plethora of organizations and information that's there in place to help them. And there is a lot. Okay. So uh, you're the the chair of the uh, National Women's Business Council. What is the most urgent thing that you would like to see take place? Well, there are, there are a lot of issues that we're focusing on, and there's three in particular um, that we're trying to narrow our efforts on. Uh, so when I took over as chair about three years ago, coming from my background as an entrepreneur and working with entrepreneurs for 20 years, access to capital was number one. So this year, the aspect of access to capital that we are working on is how do we help women who have companies that are in the government contracting space do do better in getting more government contracts and making the the path to getting certified as a a women-owned small business easier so more women can do that And then what do we need to happen on the federal side so that more agencies make more of their RFPs devoted as a sole source for women? So we did a virtual roundtable on this topic about a month ago and got phenomenal feedback and are currently in the process of figuring out what some of our recommendations will be to the federal agencies on how they can help more women get into that federal contracting space. The second area we're focusing on are how do we help women entrepreneurs in rural communities? And we, you and I have touched on this just a little bit. And childcare hits that sector of our geography even harder than it does. So we're looking at 
what are some of the initiatives underway, uh, some of the bills that Congress might have, you know, in deliberation that we can weigh in on that will help ease that childcare burden in rural communities. They are also strapped with lack of broadband internet in yes. so many areas of the country, which is hard to imagine if you're sitting in New York City, Los Angeles, DC, Boston, or whatever. But there are you know, huge segments that just don't have broadband. And if you're a woman that has a maker type business that you rely on the internet to sell, whether it's on Etsy or eBay, that's gonna be pretty difficult for you. Um, and the third and the last area that we're focusing on, Sylvia, is how do we encourage more women to start STEM-related companies? And last year, we looked at some of the things that would help make that um, an easier career path to consider by mentor networks expanding their makeup to include more women and more diverse women, both of their own racial background, but also of the companies that they are championing. So we need to see women leaders that have started companies in the sciences, you know, in the um, manufacturing and industrial areas, not just successful women that have started companies in the more stereotypical women's business areas like fashion, food, and family-oriented things. Not that they're not important, yeah. but remember, we're trying to see more women business owners in more industry sectors that are represented than we are today. Okay, we talked about rural. Um, you know, there's been so much talk, uh, especially during the pandemic, about the um, Black and Latino uh, population and how they have been hit harder than any other population. Do you see any growth in any one of those areas? Do you see women of color um, and women from different backgrounds actually coming out and starting more businesses, becoming entrepreneurs? Um, have you seen any growth in that coming out of the pandemic? We don't have access to some specific numbers in that area just yet. But, you know, one of the areas that I think all women of all backgrounds will benefit mm -hmm. by, uh, because we've seen such a lack of what I'm about to say, and that has to do with financial literacy. A lot of the feedback that we got through the roundtables that we held throughout 2019 and virtually last year had to do with many businesses being uh, well suited for bank and commercial loans. But when those women, again, 90% of these businesses are solopreneurs. And so the bank is then looking at the woman's personal financial background, since there are no employees or company per se, women do not have good credit scores. Why? We're, we don't know the reason, but what we do know is that women need to take responsibility and recognize that in order to get a commercial loan, 
for a business that would be very apt to be a recipient of such that could help them get their business off the ground faster and into market sooner. They've got to have a good credit history. They've got to have a good financial awareness of P&L statements, a general ledger, a balance sheet. And we need to help women recognize that being educated in those areas is very important. I think financial awareness goes back quite some time. There have been so many stats, uh, statistics out how women have traditionally left all of the financial considerations to their significant other. And that's great that they don't want to have to take on that responsibility. They have so much else to do, but it's not a question that they need to take on the responsibility as much as they need to take on the responsibility of the knowledge of knowing what is going on. And as you said, knowing that a credit score, that that responsibility is something that is very important, especially in today's world with consolidation of all of your information, it takes two seconds for somebody to deny you as opposed to taking a little bit more time to actually educate yourself about where you stand and what you could do about it. A lot of people get so wrapped up in, oh, I've got a credit card that's, you know, they're giving me a larger balance, a larger, you know, a larger credit line, a larger this and wind up using it all in order to build a company and then they can't get any backing because they're in debt. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's, it's mind boggling, but this is the case. And in fact, one of our, the recommendations that the council made last year was on this very topic. And there is a financial um, literacy and education commission at the federal level that the SBA partners with. And our recommendation was, hey, this is so important because women are behind the curve on this. You need to ramp up your awareness of this program. You need to get the fact that this program exists out there into the market in a bigger way so that more women can take advantage of the resource and learn what they can do to increase their literacy how to increase their credit score. What does a balance sheet even mean? So while you might have a small business that makes $10,000 a year, but you want it to make a million dollars next year, there are certain financial documents that you need to be savvy about. And if you're not going to be, then you need to get someone with a finance background to join your team and provide that expertise. And there you go. As far as one of the most important things, um, and women do do it better uh, than men do, uh, at least some of us, and that is realize where you don't have the expertise and be able to bring in, and it doesn't denigrate what you do. It just makes you smarter because you are able to say, gee, I don't know much about that, or I don't know much about that administration. I don't know about you know, the financial part, but I'll bring together a team. I'll know 
the overall, but I don't need to know the specific specifics because that's why I brought somebody in who knows more than I do on that particular uh, topic. You're and, so right, because remember, we were the gender before the GPS was invented. <laughs> so stop and ask for directions when we exactly. got Exactly. You know, our boyfriends and husbands never did that or would it, you know, even ever admit to having done that if we weren't in the car. So women are good at reaching out when they need something. And I think this area of financial literacy is critical because so many of them are not being able to get the loans or even the grants that they could be getting because they lack this information and they lack this knowledge. And it's, it's easy to correct. And there's the path. One that you mentioned, get someone in there to help them or be learned by some of these programs that are out there. And it's, it's not rocket science, actually. And there's free programs that are out there. There are. There, 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 you know, the social media, the internet. Yes, we talked about rural areas that do not have internet capabilities that are necessary. But there are usually um, some, and, and public places are now opening, whether it be a library or something where you can yeah. go in and use their capabilities. And so um, to me, the most important thing is education, educating ourselves and realizing that the world of uh, women, we were brought up to take care, to make the nest. And we're now branching out and have been for, for decades, for centuries but not in the way that we need to now. We're in a situation where there's so much out there and we can help one another if we realize that everything really is out there. So I think what you're doing and um, the three main things that you're looking to do, the three most important, it's all important, but we need that information out there. We need it disseminated. We need to let women know that there is not only help out there, but there are so many resources. Uh, and hopefully when we talk again, uh, you'll be able to have more information and there'll be more statistics because I know that the statistics really haven't been out there. And I believe that you have done something with the Census Bureau starting to get information, which you know, yeah. you can't give out information if the data hasn't been collected. Right. And that um, non-employer survey that we uh, partner with the Census Bureau to do is, is very important. And that's how we got the numbers that I shared with you uh, early in our conversation. And it's important for us to, to continue to track how women business owners are performing and what kinds of businesses are they starting and I personally hope that as we move forward, women will start to look at some of the non-traditional industry sectors for starting companies than what they have been looking backward in the past. So, um, you know, it's a matter of time. It's a matter of finding the role models who have done it before them to give them the confidence that yes, they can take that step and start a drone company or whatever. <laughs> Um, that you don't only have to do the things that you have 
um, an interest in uh, on a personal level because you might be able to be very successful in things you're interested in on a grander scale too. Exactly. Well, Liz, where could people find out more information about you? So I would encourage everyone that's interested in the council and the work that we're doing to sign up to be on our email list. It's nwbc.gov. And we would be delighted to invite you to participate in our virtual roundtables and hopefully soon in, in, in person, face-to-face roundtables. And I'd be delighted to connect with anybody on LinkedIn because I do a lot of hosting of opportunities for funding and grants for women businesses of all types and sizes. So follow me on LinkedIn. I'm Liz Sarah there. Liz, thank you so much. This is information that needs to be out there. So I thank thank you you for, for what you're doing and I thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you so much, Sylvia, to uh, give us the chance to talk about the council. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Join me next week when I talk to another extraordinary, inspiring woman. This has been a Life of Prey production.